Friday edition of Smith and Jones hitting the air. And the Toronto Raptors last night losing in Utah as they've now dropped two straight to start this road trip, getting set for a tilt tonight on the back-to-back in Sacramento. We're going to dive into all of that. But before we get to anything else on this Friday, speaking of Utah, let's go down memory lane a little bit here, and uh, and we'll see if this peaks Jonesy's uh, memory a little bit here. Let's go back to March 9th, 2020, in the same joint as last night in Utah. Go the ahead, Toronto Josh. Raptors come to Utah and beat the Jazz 101-92. They blow a 10-point lead in the fourth to only storm back to win by nine. So that's how the game ended. And little did we know that the world would damn near end, Jonesy, <laughs> for for not yeah. just us, for the NBA, for, for, the, for the globe, uh, as that was the final call of the final game of things being normal for about a year and a half. And as we've returned a little bit more to normal this season, at least from a Raptors perspective with the team traveling and on the road after a year in Tampa and whatnot, that day, March 9th, 2020, um, I'll throw it over to you. I've got a lot of memories from that day, but it was was definitely weird. And you could sense that something was different in the world. And we had no idea, obviously, the way it was going to unfold and unravel. But – Things were starting to change within the league, and you could feel it, and you could tell, as I say, something was going on. There's about four days in there, Eric. The game was on the 9th. Um, The 7th of March was a Saturday, and we were leaving San Francisco to go to Sacramento for the game on March 8th against Mm -hmm. the Kings. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our producer on the TV side, David Leader, uh, told me that, look, this COVID stuff is getting really serious. Let's get a hold of some people in the league office and see if you can discern any information from them. So I I called people that I know in the league office, connected with the league, and I had probably about a one-minute report that you were going to throw to me and I was going to get it in. Unfortunately, they changed the timing of the anthem, and that report never made it to air. I had to throw it right back to you. Uh, much to my chagrin and consternation because um, I, I couldn't get the report in. And, and what they basically said was, look, if one NBA player gets this, we're going to seriously think about shutting it down. Never got that report in. Uh, we play Sacramento Monday. Uh, did, I, did I, the 7th was, we were leaving. On the 7th was, that was the last day I saw my brother too. He was in town in San Francisco to do Golden State that Saturday night with Jalen Rose, and we had breakfast at the hotel, and then you and I jumped on the bus to go to, to Sacramento. So I've seen him once since that day, hence, as Blair was saying, the cake on TV for his birthday. Um, and then we get to Utah after the back-to-back in Sacramento. It was the last game of the trip, and I thought, okay, I'm going to get up and – go to practice, jazz shoot-around. The Raptors won't have one. I'm going to go to jazz shoot-around because I was doing a pregame piece on Mike Conley. I was going to talk to Quinn Snyder, who I know a little bit, uh, talk to Mike Conley, who I know a little bit, and just kind of get the goods as to why he was having a little bit of a hard time at so late in the season. The back-to-back got me. I, I got up early, started doing game prep, looked at the clock, and it was, it was like quarter to 10 and even though what what's the arena e if you if you if you hoof it if you if you get on i could probably run it there in 12 minutes 
Yeah, yeah you can walk I, in 20, run it in 12. I could pro- And I thought, do I run over there? I thought, ah, it's back-to-back. I'm still in the middle of my notes. Just, yeah, just go to the arena. I'll call Eric. We'll go to the arena a little early. Well, wouldn't you know it? That was the day that Rudy Gobert took his fingers and put them all over those phones, right? <laughs> and our phones would have been sitting up on that podium had we mm-hmm. done it, right? Anyway, mm-hmm. we get there that night, and you and I are getting ready for the game, and we're talking to people, and the NBA has issued the edict. Dressing room's now closed. Any player you want to interview in the pregame comes out. They bring them out. No locker room access. Uh, wear a mask. Wash your hands. And avoid, like, contact. They're saying, like, don't shake hands. No, but there so was no mask I, wearing yet, though. There was no mask wearing yet, though. Oh, that's true. There wasn't mask wearing. There wasn't nope. mask wearing, but they were yep. talking about it. Yeah. Yep. Y- you and I, uh, and we saw him just the other day. He's an assistant coach for Houston. Sagana Jop was the mm-hmm. big man coach in Utah last year. Known him since he was 18 years old, and he came into the NBA. And I saw him, and he just finished working out. He was all sweaty and everything, and he... You know, he's from Ghana and, and you know, my roots being in Nigeria, we get talking and I put my fist out. He said, come on, brother, we can't do that. And he gives me like a big sweaty hug. <laughs> Later, I find out he's been working out with Rudy Gobert. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so we do the game. We fly home. And I remember sitting, wow, Utah, that was a big win for Toronto. Let's see how they react in Oklahoma City tonight. And sitting there watching the game that never started because Rudy tested positive. And Ghana told us, what, two, three weeks ago when they were here, Houston was here for exhibition game, the preseason game, how they were stuck in the hotel. They couldn't get out till 2 a.m. The testing took so long. It was it was crazy. And and then you and I get messages at about eh, what, 145, 150, close to 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. You need to get yourself down to said hospital to get a test. And then when we went to the at, hospital. At, at you, 6 a.m. Yeah. And, and you and I are getting to the hospital. And it's not even in the hospital. We're outside for crying out loud in outdoor cubbies and cubicles. And everybody's wearing it. looked like out the movie Outbreak from back in the, mm-hmm. the 80s or 90s. There were hazmat suits and yep. face shields and sit here. And I'm I'm sitting there like, holy cow, what is going on here? And those four days, seven, eight, nine, probably ten, those four days in March, to me, just just changed the world. It was it was unbelievable how quickly things changed. And then everything was shut down. Everything was shut down. Well, I can so I, I can remember Jonesy, and and you know I I echo everything you said because most of our experiences are are the same because <laughs> we we hang out so much on the road. And I've told the story a couple of times. The last normal thing I feel I've done to this day, uh, you know, I've gone out a few times with the family and done some stuff, but I haven't gone on a vacation. I haven't gone and done any day trip, uh, you know, anything substantial, anything overly special. So the last kind of cool, normal, quasi-normal thing I feel like I've done, aside from getting back to, you know, being down at Scotiabank Arena and whatnot, was uh, in, uh, you know, on the off day in, in San Francisco, going to a couple of wineries on a tour with, and, and I know you had other things and lunch plans with other people, and, and otherwise you would have been with us as well, but, you know, with, you mentioned David Leader and Chris Phillips, the TV director, and uh, Matt Devlin, Jack Armstrong, uh, Jeff Rocky from Open Gym. There was about six or seven of us that, and, and we had rented a, 
uh, a sprinter van for the day, and it took us out to Napa about an hour and a half away. It was an off day with the team, so there was no practice, no work commitments, whatever. So it was a very rare, completely full off day before getting set to depart for Sacramento and then Utah. And, you know, you got six, seven guys in a sprinter van having drinking wine and going to various restaurants, let alone the wineries, let alone the, the, the wine flowing a little bit, and you're all jammed into this sprinter van. <laughs> will, will I ever do that again? Uh, who knows? Yeah. Maybe. But uh, certainly wouldn't have been doing it the last 20 months or so. And I can also remember, and it's, it's crazy to think back, and I, listen, I know everybody in the audience has gone through this and, and, and went through this. When we got to uh, – it wasn't as much in Sacramento. When we got to Utah – I remember talking to my wife in the morning, and she said, I don't know if it's this this virus thing, this COVID, whatever, but people are going completely, like, batch, you know, blank. I almost said the word. They're, they're, they're going cuckoo right now. She's like, I can't even get toilet paper. I went shopping the other day. There's no toilet paper. There's, like, empty shelves. So in Utah, I ended up at a Walgreens or a CVS pharmacy, and all I could find was a four-pack, and I jammed it into my luggage. We'd been gone for, what, a week and a half on the road trip, at yeah. least 10, 11 yeah. days or something? And somehow, some way, I found room to jam in a four-pack of TP into my luggage to bring back because apparently there was none to be found back in Ontario. And, and uh, I can remember also earlier in the trip, what one, I can't remember, honestly, Jonesy, if it was our first game or second game of the trip, being in Phoenix. Phoenix. And second game. I had gone to, I, second game. I had gone to a mall and ended up walking beyond – and honestly, I can't even remember now. I, these these places like Bed Bath and Beyond and Bath and Body Works, they all seem like the same store. It's like there's three stores that have the same damn name, and I don't know which is which. But anyways, one of those, you know, smelly hand sanitizers, lotions, and candles type places, whatever it was, Bath and Body Works. Let's just say. I remember walking by, and they must have had thousands. I mean, tens of thousands of hand sanitizers of like 19 different fragrances and a men's section of sanitizers and a women's section. Who the hell thought like to pick up hand sanitizer? And I just go, oh, this, I keep hearing about this virus thing. I guess I'll buy five for 20 or whatever the hell the price is. Well, then we get to the next stop into San Francisco and then into Sacramento and then into Utah. You couldn't find hand sanitizer. It was Nowhere to be found. It was sold out everywhere, especially in San Fran. I remember going into a, a CVS on one of the main strips in San Francisco. It looked like the place had been robbed. Not just sanitizer, food, snacks, drinks, bare shelves all over the place. And I'm just thinking, what in the holy hell is happening? And I remember thinking, I should have bought about a 1,000 sanitizers because I can't find the damn stuff now. And, uh, you know, as I say, the toilet paper shortage and then coming back home. And I do, especially for a guy like me that's been a hypochondriac for a long time and a germaphobe and everything else, thinking about, as you said, uh, you know, the, the, the close proximity to Sagana Job, to Rudy Gobert. I know I remember Jack doing the postgame interview uh, on the TV side with with uh, Serge Ibaka, who had been tussling with, with Gobert late in the game. And then you and I sit kind of side to the side slash kitty corner to, to where Matt and Jack sit on the plane. And I know I'd talked to Jack afterwards and probably sat and had a beer with him after the game. And it's like, oh, my gosh, if, if Gobert's got it, then that means that Ibaka's got it. If Ibaka's got it, it means Jack's got it because he was breathing all over and sweating all over Jack. And then, as you said, getting that call at 2 in the morning to be there at the hospital at 6 and showing up with hazmat suits and, and, and trying to not freak out and, and be you know stable. And then I don't know if you remember, too, we didn't even get our results for the test till I believe it was the Sunday afternoon. We thought yeah, we'd have to maybe have it till on, you know, on, on yeah. Friday. Yeah, it took like three, four days to get the results. So it's you're, you're sitting there, and pardon the pun, I guess, just sweating 
waiting for the result. Because, again, folks, this is the initial stages. Now, you know, you kind of feel unwell or, or whatever. You might go get a rapid test or, a, or, or some sort of test, and maybe you're not freaking out. And plus, a ton of us, obviously, understandably, smartly, are vaccinated. So even if you do think you might get it, you know it's not going to be as bad. And, again, we've learned so much in the last year and a half where maybe you aren't as freaked out as you would have been. But in those initial days, man, I don't know about you, Jonesy, yeah. but – I was well. I do know about you because we spoke on the phone damn near every day because we were both quarantining and isolating, waiting for the result, thinking, "Oh my God, if it's positive, what does that mean? And uh, like, what could that? What's the impact? And am I going to die, or or is am I just going to get a sniffle? And what's happening? Because it was just all so new, and we knew so little about it. Well, I'll tell you what. We got a guy on the line who we'll have to find out where he was when the world basically ended for a year and a half. Um, uh, but. One of our friends, former writer with the Toronto Sun, covered the Raptors beat early in the early days. Craig Daniels was on that trip just before us, before this West Coast trip in Cleveland. And he said, have you been following this virus thing? And Craig's kind of a learned guy. He reminds me a lot of Howard Beck, our next guest. He's very scholarly and, you know, erudite. And, and it's like, have you been following this virus thing? I'm like, well, a little bit, not really. But, you know, I'm just washing my hands, staying. He said, this is serious stuff. If it if it gets over here, uh, from you know Europe and overseas, the, the, we're going to shut this thing down. I'm like, oh, okay, well, don't overreact. But um, Howard, we, we bring into our our conversation Howard Beck, uh, longtime friend of uh, Smith and Jones and the show from uh, Sports Illustrated. And Howard, just where were you when the world ended uh, that that night when Rudy Gobert basically shut down all of professional sports? Good morning, guys. Uh, good to talk with you again. Hope to see you sometime soon. That would be novel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It would be nice. Uh, I was in the same place as I am right now, sitting at my desk in my home office in uh, Brooklyn and watching this kind of unfold first on Twitter. I can't remember why I was not in front of the TV itself. I probably put myself in front of the TV and, and just – I remember I didn't sit down. I Like, I walked – from my, my, my little office space, it's, it's a Brooklyn apartment. It's not very far. I walked from my, my little office over around the corner to my little living room and turned on the TV, and I, n- I never sat down. I watched um, the jazz thing unfold, and then from there it was like, right, like the Sacramento game was still going to go on, and then there was something going on with the referee there, I think, who might have been placed in into potential quarantine. I can't even remember exactly how it unfolded, but it was like, why is there still a game going on? They've canceled this this one, but they're not – postponing that final one and it was all just very confusing and strange and you're kind of coming to terms with it in in real time and um and you know the the week before just not even a full week i was at the sloan conference in boston the the analytics conference that you know daryl morey and, and his his pals put on every year and i was there with you know zach lowe and all kinds of nba people and we'd been out to dinner friday night talking about yeah this thing is strange what are we you know it's should we be here what do we yeah i'm sure it's fine there had been there was all of these uh you know uh instructions by the people putting on the conference basically saying hey folks you know obviously there's a thing going on with this coronavirus but you know we've got uh purell stands at every you know at the front of every room and we, we encourage everybody to Wash your hands a lot. Uh, don't shake hands or high five. We recommend like elbow bumps and whatever. Oh, okay, all right. Well, I guess we'll we'll be fine. We'll just elbow bump instead of shaking hands. So, like the whole weekend was this practice round of like not shaking hands anymore and not having contact. Not of course realizing that this was an airborne virus and that you know uh, actually us all being in close quarters like that was the dumbest possible thing we 
could have done. And then, of course, Rudy Gobert uh, had played that night against, or that, that Friday night or Saturday night, one or the other against the Celtics. Um, and a bunch of people, I didn't go, others did. And so then there was this other wave of like, oh, God, who was in proximity to Rudy Gobert there? Once you find out a few days later, you know, so this is, you know, four days before, you know, everything stops. So anyway, um, yeah, fun times. Yeah, and, that, and that's 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 why we we kind of started on this uh, note. We're, we're we're not trying to rehash twenty months ago, Howard, but we're sort of reminiscing because the Raptors playing in Utah last night, losing to the Jazz. That was the last game for the Raptors back in twenty twenty when they played the Jazz, and we were talking about how we were all just sort of freaking out about the fact that wow, the Raptors' last opponent was Utah. Now they're in Oklahoma City, and 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 doing the same thing you just did about wondering about well, they they played Boston. Well, heck, they had just played Toronto, and we had just interacted with all these players and coaches and been in the building and everything else and and so we're just kind of using last night's game in utah sort of as that jumping off point to reminisce to 20 months ago when it all kind of came crashing to a halt but jones do you have anything else on this topic because i'm going to go in another direction here with howard in a second no unless no, you want let's, something let's, else you know all right so so let me go let me go down memory lane for something else then howard and we'll get to current day stuff in a second but how about 17 years ago today were you still in that same home office? Were you still standing in front of the television when you were watching the events unfold in Detroit? 17 years ago today, the malice at the palace. Wow, was that, to, that was 17 years ago today. 17 years ago today, when that unfolded, uh, we were in a different part of Brooklyn, but I was not home. I was in the visiting locker room in Dallas covering the Knicks. And the reason I remember that is because we're in the locker room doing post-game after Knicks-Mavericks when this is re- replaying on the TVs mounted in the locker room and guys are reacting to it in real time. Um, one in particular, and I can't remember his name, is a fringe player who was like like weirdly excited by it all. Like basically like, oh, this is so like amazing. Like it was very disturbing. Uh, somebody who did not last in the league very long. Um but yeah, we were we were that was how we saw it. We we were in the locker room watching it being replayed on ESPN in the visiting locker room in Dallas. Um and you know, I was covering just the Knicks then, not the league at large. My colleague Liz Robbins did a great job of covering the aftermath and David Stern's press conference a day or two later. I think that was a Friday night and I think his press conference was on a Sunday. Um and yeah, I mean, that was just, it was just so disturbing. And then it was replayed ad nauseum, of course, which, you know, among the regrettable aspects of this. Um, I thought that uh, the Jermaine O'Neal produced documentary that was much more from the, you know, gave, gave a much, I think, broader perspective. And this came out a couple of months ago. I think that was a Netflix production. Yeah. Um, was really good and just gave an insight into how, when we look back, the, the thing we got wrong in real time, and by we, I, I don't, you know, I don't remember what if or what I would have written myself, but I think what what we largely got wrong as media and fans at that time was that this was some kind of player riot. It was a fan riot, you know. Um, yes, uh, Ron Artest went into the stands after something was thrown at him, so this gets sparked by a fan. He goes in the stands, shouldn't have. Stephen Jackson goes after him to protect his teammate debatable whether that was wise or not but from there the pandemonium that erupts the violence that erupts thrown chairs thrown everything thrown bottles fans on the court that's not the players at fault that is fans out of control and the documentary that Jermaine O'Neal produced that has a bunch of new interviews and that you know again was out on Netflix a couple months ago 
really peels back the curtain on that part of it from security people and, and police officers, folks who said, yeah, the guy who ran on the court, we've been trying to get that guy ejected from Pistons games for a while because he was always drunk and acting up. And that guy, the interview in the documentary, is completely unrepentant all these years later. He still thinks he was just fine to go down on the court where he did not belong. Um, but it, it was so much framed as players out of control. It was thousands of fans out of control. And it's not to absolve any of the players of any actions that were part of this. But the fans, especially the ones who were not directly involved, did not have to react in the way they did at all. They did not have to be throwing things, including chairs, um, at the time that that happened. So it, it, it's, it, was, it was interesting to, to see it kind of recontextualized all these years later. Well, uh, uh, boy, we've learned some stuff over events of the past, haven't we? Howard, let's, let's, jump, into, uh, let's jump into current day and uh, take a quick look around the league. We've, we've eaten up a lot of time by reminiscing, but uh, that means we have to have you back, Howard. Um, I, I want to start with, and we've, Eric and I have been taking the temperature, the pulse of people, our guests, on the Eastern Conference in particular and how uh, there's such parity right now. And, you know, who, who's, who's going to improve? Who's going to lose out? Because I think you basically have 12, 13 teams fighting for 10 spots. Yeah, um, we do have some semblance of, of parity, it seems like, right now in across the league, really. Um, certainly in the East, obviously, you guys uh, are, are just in, and where the Raptors, you know, fall in all this, so we'll, we'll concentrate on the East. I, what's happening right now is interesting because there's at least a couple of teams that are probably still overachieving a bit. You know, like the Bulls have started to come back to the pack a little bit, the Wizards, too. Um, like they, they're both legitimately better than they were. I'm not at all uh, dismissing the improvements and the just the, the leap forward the Bulls and Wizards made based on their offseason moves. They made dramatic moves, and they've had dramatic results. I, I'm not convinced that they're top four teams in the East. They're not ready for that yet. I'm not convinced that the Milwaukee Bucks are the 10th best team in the Eastern Conference. They will be back up there. You know, the Nets – Stumbled early, recovered. They're up where they should be. The Heat are a team that I expected to be top four. The Bucks will eventually be back up there. So there's three. You know, the question has been, how does four through whatever shake out? Because it gets there's a lot of parity there. I thought the Hawks would be a, a top four team based on their conference finals run last year. I still think that that's a good possibility. But the Wizards and Bulls have complicated matters in that regard. You know, the Knicks have, have slipped a little bit. The Cavaliers jumped up out of nowhere. I still think the Cavaliers, based on their youth and obviously based on injuries at the moment, are going to probably fall back. I'm not sure that the Cavaliers were really ready just based on acquiring one rookie plus a, a revived Ricky Rubio are suddenly going to be a playoff team. Um, but maybe. The Pacers underachieved badly last year. They got Rick Carlisle in. They've had injuries early, but I still think the Pacers are going to be competitive, and they're sitting there, you know, in 13th at the moment. So, yeah, it's crowded. It's really crowded. Um, and I, how this shakes out, what happens with the Sixers when they finally move Ben Simmons, which I still probably more likely than not to be resolved sometime before the trade deadline. The Hornets are young and, and, and improving, and I thought would be in the mix. But, like, I, yeah, there's – there ain't, there's not enough room, guys. <laughs> Even with a play-in tournament, there's not enough room. A couple of good teams are going to get squeezed out. Speaking with Howard Beck from Sports Illustrated, Howard, let's let's go back up to one of the teams you mentioned, the team that you you know quite well, the New York Knicks, uh, eight and seven right now, 
sitting in that seventh spot. You know, we're, we're approaching the quarter point of the season. Do you think that they're a team that needs to make a move at some point to take that next step, or do they have enough pieces, enough youth to make enough damage? Like, I'm not talking necessarily championship, Howard, but to be a top four, top five team, are they going to have to do something to vault into that category? I was never entirely sold on the Knicks last season. A lot of things broke their way, and you know they got this career year from Julius Randle that nobody, nobody, nobody could see coming. And it was it was spectacular. It was fun. It was great. But you always had to wonder: okay, is this is this really a mid career evolution? And is this the new Julius Randle? Is he going to shoot forty percent from three for the rest of his career and average six assists a game? And right now, the answer seems to be like no. But uh, you know, it's also too soon to say that you know that he's regressed and this is this is it. You know, it's fifteen games into the season. He's adjusting to a whole new backcourt, including, you know, a guy in Kemba Walker who obviously has always had a lot of offensive control. And last year they were running everything through Julius Randle. And so you got to rebalance and you got to give them time to kind of figure out their chemistry again. And they may get there, but the conference was in a weird state last, last season. Uh, you know, Miami got wrecked by COVID. You know what happened to your guys. Boston got wrecked by COVID. All kinds of stuff happened last year that kind of paved the way for the Knicks to make the surprise leap to fourth. And even with what I think all of us agreed were offseason improvements by the Knicks, just by the rest of the conference kind of rebalancing and getting back to where they were, and plus you know the teams that made improvements like the Wizards and the Bulls and the growth of the Hornets, you figured the Knicks were going to slip back a little bit. I didn't think they were going to be this lackluster this early on, and, and they've inverted exactly – from last season, they were a phenomenal defensive team and, you know, bottom third, I think, offensively in efficiency last season. And they, they, they've inverted it. And they're, they're now, uh, I think, you know, last I checked, they were, I think, a top 10 offensive team and, and, you know, bottom 10 defensive team. So that's not the hallmark of a Tibbs team, of course. Um, where does that leave them? Like, I, I guess it depends on how convinced they are of what they already have in terms of their veteran crew, right? Like, I don't know this is a time when you want to go saying, well, we got to make a run, so let's trade, you know, R.J. Barrett and Obi Toppin for a veteran or something. I don't think that's where they are. Um, They're straddling this line where they wanted to be competitive in the near term after seven years out of the playoffs, and so they they went all in on a veteran approach. Derrick Rose and Taj Gibson, Tibbs' old standbys, and they made their run. But there was a low ceiling on that, and you now you now it's like, well, how long are you? How much more are you getting out of the veteran approach, and how long is it going to take before the youth kind of are ready to carry this? And do you have the right youth to carry it? Like, is R.J. Barrett going to be a perennial All Star as of right now? Looks like no, but maybe. Um, you know, what's Obi Toppin's ceiling? I, like, they're they're in an evaluation period right now where they're kind of straddling the line between development and competitiveness and and, you know what does this team look like three to five years from now i I couldn't even tell you howard what do you think shakes down with the um with the kyrie irving situation in brooklyn who again have their sights set on a championship (sighs) jonesy i don't even know how to approach this one right now i I mean you know, nothing has changed, right? Kyrie Irving, we haven't heard from him in, in weeks, despite him being a voice for the voiceless. We haven't heard his voice. Um, and and I, I have to imagine there's no chance at all that he's going to get the vaccine. Like, like, I think that part is the, is the one given. He's not caving on his vaccine stance. The New York, uh, the, the, uh, New York has a new mayor coming in, Eric Adams, 
who will take office soon. But Eric Adams, uh, while his answer was muddled with CNN a, a couple weeks ago, seemed to be pretty clear that, that they're not changing their vaccine mandates locally. That could still happen. If that happens, suddenly he's eligible for every game, and I assume the Nets just welcome him back. I think that they were making a practical decision, not not a, a – they weren't making a decision based on the vaccine. They made a decision as a team based on we can't have one of our three best players available only for road games. So if he's eligible for all games because the law changes, I assume he's welcome back. I could be wrong, but I think that's where that would go. But if the law doesn't change and he doesn't change his stance on the vaccine, then I think there is no Kyrie Irving on the Nets this season. That's pretty clear. And I've been saying for some time, and I think the the deeper we get into the season, the more clear this becomes, trade him. Trade him for pennies on the dollar if you have to, because right now he's $36 million in dead cap. That's it. It is as if you waived Kyrie Irving and still have his money on the books. Thirty-six million of just dead cap. That's that's the effect net effect right now. And so, while you don't ever want to trade an all-star caliber player for you know lesser pieces, right now they'd be better off with anything other than thirty-six million in dead cap. And and you know I don't I don't know how much long-term damage there is to your 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 chemistry and, and your just your your uh, internal you know, camaraderie, if, if he misses an entire season and maybe costs you a run at the championship, do you want to bring him back anyway? So, um, and I think maybe he's only got a year left after this. So I, like, I, I think at some point trading him has to be um, not just on the table, but a priority because you would at least get more useful players to replenish your, your, your depth and maybe get some younger guys. They've got a lot of old legs and he can play anywhere else, you know, aside from, you know, Golden State, um, every other team in the league, Kyrie could be playing 100% of the games. Howard, I was going to let you go, but just because you brought it up, you you can decide how long, how detailed you want to go here. (laughs) Um, Walking the fine line of not wanting to get into fantasy trade type stuff here, what's the market like for a Kyrie Irving? Because the guy is clearly an incredible talent and still one of the best in the game, but he also comes with quite a bit of... Nah, is it fair to say baggage? There's a lot of stuff that comes with Kyrie Irving as well. How much do you think that would impact uh, other teams and their interest or lack thereof? There is a lot of stuff. It would impact teams um, and their interest in him. But given that the Nets are kind of over a barrel anyway, if you could get him for a bargain, there are teams that will take a chance on him for sure. The guy's incredibly talented. He's a phenomenal scorer and passer. And, yes, there are some things that come with it. And, you know, you might have some questions about whether you're risking, you know, what you're risking with your team. But there are some teams out there that are going nowhere anyway. And you might as well, like, Kyrie Irving next to Zion Williamson would look pretty good. Uh, I don't know if David Griffin, the GM in New Orleans, wants that reunion. Uh, he, although I, I think he actually likes Kyrie when they work together in Cleveland. Um, there are teams out there that are going nowhere that – you know, for a one-year or two-year flyer, you know, the guy is incredibly exciting. He's fun to watch. He might win you some games. I think somebody would take a chance. But, you know, you start looking around the league and you think about, like, who needs, you know, a, a scoring guard. Uh, you know, it's there aren't a lot of fits necessarily. But um, if the Nets wanted to put him on the market right now and were willing to take back less value than you would normally get for an all-NBA caliber guard, um then I think a deal could be made. I don't know exactly what you're getting back. But again, to me, it's a practical matter. An entire season of zero return on that $36 million or 
trade him for you know two or three players making an approximation of that and who can be rotation players tomorrow, you'd be better off with those rotation players than you are with an all-star who can't play at all. Hmm. Howard, we appreciate the time and the insight as always. Thanks for joining us today and uh, be well and we'll look forward to talking soon and as you said off the top, hopefully seeing you soon as well. Absolutely. Thanks, fellas. Thanks, Howard. There is Howard Beck, NBA writer, national NBA writer for Sports Illustrated. We will continue with more Smith & Jones in a moment. Back on Smith & Jones, if you like the show, make sure you subscribe to the show, Smith & Jones, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, or otherwise. Please rate and review as well. Last night in the association, six games on the schedule, including Golden State winning in Cleveland and another night where Steph Curry had nine triples, nine of 16 from the field, 40 points for Steph as the Raptors will get set for the Warriors coming up on Sunday. But before they've got to deal with Steph and Golden State, they've got the Sacramento Kings tonight as the Raptors will be coming in on the back-to-back, playing last night in Utah. Another loss for the Raptors, two straight in the loss column on this road trip. And they'll try and get right against the Kings tonight. Sacramento entering the ball game, sitting at 6-9 and nine overall as we bring into the conversation. It's, it doesn't even seem right to say friend of the show. Uh, it's, well, family of the show, at least part of the show, it is Mark Jones, the TV play-by-play voice of the Sacramento Kings. Of course, you know him from ESPN as well, and you might know him as Jonesy's brother. Mark, how are you doing today? Good, yeah, I, I am uh, part of the show. I'm, I'm a couple more hits, guys, and I'll be eligible for the company pension, right? <laughs> Not okay, much, bro. I'll well. tell you something. It's, it's it's not it's not bro. It's not much. And and I do know you're at that age now, so that's good. I, I just wondered, any cake hey. left or what? Oh come hey. on, man! You're doing that, him dirty, Jones. You're doing him dirty. That that, <laughs> that cake that you sent over, big bro, disappeared by by uh, halftime. It was gone. There were sparks coming off of that plate. They almost oh some shrapnel, some icing shrapnel almost hit Vince Carter beside me. It was great. It was fun. Wow. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Oh, that's good. It's, we couldn't. We Eric and I are taking a rain check. You know, Eric, Eric, you're living out there, and you're back and forth. You're living out there in Napa now, close to. Uh, I know you like to uh, to partake a little bit, and Eric has worked on me all these years, and uh, and I'm I'm starting to tip a glass here and there. And the day that they went to Napa, uh, I was waiting to get on at Harding Park, uh, where they played the PGA and the President's Cup years ago. So I didn't get there. So I've always told you. Next time we're out there, uh, you are you are taking me to Napa and uh, probably bringing me home in a shopping cart. So I just I just want to let that be known uh, when it, when it gets out. Yeah, there. my wine but, my wine game is coming on. My wine game is coming on. You can't you just absorb it through osmosis living out there in that area, Northern Cali, with all the great uh, wineries and uh, you know Napa, about a forty five minute drive from where we are. My wife and I, and uh, it's been great, man. It's been great. It's just the only thing missing is a. A few more W's uh, for the local team in Sacramento there, you know, and well, so, someone's going to get I, right tonight. That, yeah, that's where I wanted to start. We all heard Tristan Thompson. Here's a guy who has a ring and knows. Is that kind of a message to his teammates? Is he like, heed this, like, come on, guys. It's not up to Luke. And if, we're, if, we, don't, if we don't turn this thing around, a good man's going to be in trouble here. Yeah, Tristan, 
has been great for the team this year. And that was his message. I mean, anybody that misconstrues that message as anything other than um, an edict to the players to get to work and uh, be accountable, then they're missing the point because that's what he was intending to say on that. And Tristan has been, you know, let me start big picture with, with the team this year. You know, they've got the longest running playoff drought in the NBA, right here in Sacramento. And, uh, it's it's really kind of unfair because the fan base guys that I've discovered in the year plus that I've been out here is is rabid. They are amongst the most passionate fans uh, in the entire league. I mean, whether I'm you know walking through the mall at Macy's or walking downtown Midtown having something to eat, there's Kings fans everywhere. They stop. They talk about the team. Are we going to make it? Blah blah blah. Um, they deserve a team that that at least gets to the playoffs. And, you know, right now in the in the little sideways skid that they're in, um, it, it's really tough to figure out because the energy of the team this year, guys, was fantastic coming out of camp. You know, um, got Davion Mitchell. There's new energy. Tristan Thompson comes in. They've got bigs that can defend the rim. Last year, uh, we were the worst defensive team in the NBA, almost historically bad. Um, and there's been marked improvement this year. Tristan is part of that, and the energy that he has brought has been priceless. Um, even when he's not getting into games, he's on the bench cheering. Um, you know, the guys have, uh, up until this recent skid, been great, but, you know, this is where you really find out who you are when you face a little bit of adversity. This four-game road trip that we're coming off of, you know, before going into it, we're thinking, okay, we're going to go, you know, 4 0 would be a little bit greedy because the four teams that we played on the road trip were combined 10 at uh, 10 and 27. So, you know, it's the NBA. It's tough to go 4 0 on a road trip. 3 and 1 we're, is what we're, the thought was realistically. Come back 1 and 3 with the only win being against Detroit. Um, and, and now it's like there's speculation going on about Luke, which is unfair because he's been great, um, and, and nobody knows what's going to happen next. So, you know, uh, Marvin Bagley, that situation is kind of hanging uh, out there as well in another orbit on its own. Uh, it's really going to be interesting to see how this thing plays out beginning tonight back at home. It's the first of four at home from the Sacramento Kings, and obviously the Raptors, as you noted, Mark, you know it's a it's an important game for them as well as they started the season fairly well, and they're kind of slipping a little bit right now, and now dealing with a, an injury for OG Ananobi. You mentioned Bagley. Uh, you know, I don't want to focus too much time on that, but how is this going to resolve itself, Mark? I mean, I've got to imagine a, a deal's got to be coming at some point, but the less he plays, I would think the less the return is going to be for somebody that I, I would have thought is a talented player that, that could play on a lot of teams. Yeah, guys, he was 14-7 and seven a season ago. He's 22 yeah. years old. And, you know, when, when the, folks of, the good folks of Sacramento and Kings Nation talk about this and that and the other about Bagley, I say, hold on a sec. Listen, here's, here's my rationale. I've been around the league a long time. I remember doing OKC games when DeMontis Sabonis was the same age, 21-22, and Billy Donovan taking me to the side and saying, Mark, I love this kid Sabonis, but darn it, he can't stay on the floor. He's always in foul trouble, or he's not picking up defense. He's always you know, in the wrong place. 
the last time I looked, Sabonis is a two-time All-Star now, right? Is he not? Right. So my thing is, bigs sometimes develop at a different pace. And Bagley's been injured a lot in the three-plus seasons that he's had in the NBA. If you add it all up, it's probably the equivalent of the games he's played to two seasons. So, you know, if if they're going to cut bait with this guy, don't be surprised if he becomes uh, an all-star, a fringe all-star type player somewhere else, wherever he goes, because I think that that would be a mistake. I I, I think there's still some good basketball left in, in Marvin Bagley, but Here's, here's another interesting thing, uh, Paul and Eric. Monty McNair, second-year GM for Sacramento, is from the Daryl Morey tree, right, in Houston? Okay, they decided at the start of the year that Marvin Bagley is not going to be uh, a rotation player, which was a big surprise to a lot of people because he put in the requisite work during the summer. I watched him work out in Miami. He looked fantastic. And you've got a guy now that, has only played sparingly this year, I think in three or four games at most, he was sitting out. And I go back to the Daryl Morey tree. Philadelphia has a guy sitting out in Ben Simmons. Uh, Houston, Raphael Stone, the general manager there, they've got John Wall sitting out. So the, the, the Daryl Morey doctrine seems to be, hey, put a guy on ice, let him sit and let things work out, however they might work out. I don't say I understand it, but that seems to be uh, the methodology. So I think the Kings, this is a long-winded answer, uh, Eric. I think the Kings are just going to wait it out and, and see what kind of deal they can get uh, in in the next uh, few weeks. Wow. Um, <laughs> Weird, Mark, right? It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, why wouldn't you have a guy who can help you uh, on the floor? And, and you know, we, we – we, we take the line from our colleague Chuck Cooperstein, and it was the first guy that I heard use it with the, with the analytics and the three-point shot. Hey, three is better than two, but two is better than nothing. And it's still, I mean, you know, the analytics, as much as people like to shoot the three, the best shot is still a layup. That's the, the yep. highest percentage closest to the basket shot. And those are usually made by bigger people or guys driving in there. So I, I, you know, I can't figure it out. And that being said, Eric and I have been talking about this. Some of the old school stuff is coming back. Games getting a little bit more physical. People are stepping in, taking mid range jump shots. Like I love some, it. some of that stuff. Yeah. Some of that stuff is coming back, Mark. <clears throat> yeah. It, you know, what's interesting. I, um, I spoke to Tyrese Halliburton. You guys will get a good look at him tonight. Uh, great second-year player, you know, first-team all-rookie last year with the Sacramento Kings. And I said, uh, what did you do this summer? What was the focus of your improvement? And he said, you know what? It was all mid-range, Mark. He said, I watched the playoffs. I watched the finals. He said, you know, guys are going to make threes, and he shoots threes well. He's about 41 42% last year. He said, guys always make layups. He goes, but the magic and the secret sauce is in the mid-range game. So it was like one dribble pull-up he worked on, two dribble pull-up, left, right, in between. Uh, that That's where it is. And, and I love the fact that that's coming back into the game, one. And two, you know, now they're actually letting people guard and defend people. And, and you've seen, I haven't looked at the recent numbers, but the scores are down a little bit. But I think the basketball itself has been a lot better. You know, it's interesting. Uh, it, we, we've been talking a lot about that, Mark. Uh, Jonesy and I, whether it be on the broadcast or on the show, and uh, maybe maybe just kind of looking big picture here beyond just the, the Kings and the Raptors. Um, 
I, I assume you've enjoyed watching this because if you're like your brother, all I'm hearing is all this talk about old school, old school, and this is the way it used to be. And, and I, I mean, I like it too. I'm not a young guy anymore either, but, but just the, the purest in you going back to whether it be the 80s and 90s or even prior to that, just in growing up watching the game and, and the hard battles that you would see from time to time, it seems like the league is kind of trying to return to a little bit more of that normal as opposed to what we've seen the last few years where if you breathed on a guy, the whistle blows, and we've got scores in the 130s and 140s every night. It's a, it's a different game, certainly what we've seen over the first 15, 20 thus far this season, Mark. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, I, I, I love it, guys. I love it. Give me a game that, you know, is in the low, mid-90s and where possessions actually matter. You know, you used to be able to say uh, Ralph Lawler's Law, well, first team to 100 wins. Now the first team to 100, shoot, that could be halftime, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, up until this year, that's the way it used to be, right? You, we were getting scores in the 70s at halftime, and, you know, now you've got players who potentially uh, can can hang their hat on being stoppers again. I mean, when was the last time you heard about good on-ball defenders that really mattered? You know, and, and I think with the rule changes now where you're not giving, you know, players uh, the ability to uh, use those abnormal uh, or unusual launch angles, as Monty McCutcheon, our good friend with the NBA officials, likes to say, uh, if they can't do that to draw fouls and there are no calls now, uh, which is great, uh, you'll see scores coming down and, and the game's just aesthetically a lot better to watch. And I've been enjoying it. I mean, we're, a game where possessions actually matter and you're you're going weak side, strong side, moving the ball around a little bit and not just launching threes. It's I, 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 I prefer that brand. Mark, what's been your biggest surprise? I know the other night you had the Lakers and we, you and I have talked about uh, you know, kind of putting that older team together and LeBron not in the lineup. What do you do when he comes back with Russ? All of those things. But just in the league in general, overall, what, what have been some of your biggest surprises when you look at, uh, you know, as we approach the, the quarter, quarter mark of the season? Wow. Um, some interesting storylines for me. I think, uh, you know, quite as kept. I know they've got a modest nine and eight record so far. But the Cleveland Cavaliers, for me, have been a great story. Um, you know, you talk about going old-school basketball. I love the fact that J.B. Bickerstaff, the head coach there, has used uh, a big lineup with, uh, you know, Mobley, Markinen, and Allen on the front line, where, where bigs are actually becoming a, a factor in the paint traditionally again. Uh, they've been a good story. You know, Ricky Rubio's doing good stuff on that team. Mobley might be, I think, the front runner for Rookie of the Year, even though he's hurt right now. Scotty Barnes, of course, up there with the Raptors. Uh, of course, the emergence of Golden State again, as Golden State as we knew them at 13-2. and two. Uh, And the fact that, you know, they've got key pieces coming back, uh, that, that's been great to watch. Uh, they had, shoot, I think they had 36 assists guys last night in that game I watched that was wild um, just the return of that and you know I, I can't believe that the Lakers you know that's the other big one for me at some point aren't going to figure it out um, you know LeBron's going to be coming back tonight against Boston uh, they've, they've been fun and you know the Phoenix Suns don't sleep on them last year you know the Phoenix has won 10 in a row uh, last year they kind of caught people by surprise and Monty Williams has proven that he's uh, you know, I think one of the top five coaches in the NBA, 
uh, they've been a great story. And, and the fact that I think they're even better this year with uh, JaVale McGee in the lineup, um, helping them have a little bit more size on the floor, which I think ultimately cost them the NBA Finals last year. Uh, that That's a good one, too. And then the last one for me is, um, you know, probably Milwaukee. They're, they're slow start, albeit they're injured. They're seven and eight. But I think they're going to be another uh, – I think they're a serious chance to repeat when all said is done. Hey, Mark, uh, belated birthday wishes from me personally. Uh, enjoy the broadcast tonight. Thanks for joining us today. And uh, I know you two will be talking again soon, but uh, I look forward to speaking with you at some point down the road. You got it, guys. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. There is Mark Jones. Of course, you know him from ESPN and the play-by-play voice of the Sacramento Kings as well as the Raptors get set for the Kings tonight. And you'll get a double dip of Smith & Jones today. You've got us right now. And you'll have us again later on tonight at 10 o'clock Eastern as we will have the tip-off of the Kings and Sacramento from Sacramento. Uh, we will continue in a moment with a little bit more Smith & Jones. But again, folks, make sure if you like the show, rate and review it, and of course subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in to Smith & Jones.